Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us today as we sojourn through Acts. Wherever you are, we're so grateful to have you. You know, I remember it. I remember very well. It was a group of us hiking and out in the woods, and we we were as we we're approaching like the the crest of the hill. We saw this fire tower, and it and it looked abandoned. And so, a group of guys, what do you say? Let's try to go up this thing. And, and as, we, as we approached it, you know, everything doesn't look as high far away, right? And then you get there and you start working up the ladder. In fact, I, I have a ladder here. And as you work up this ladder, you realize it's a lot steeper than you, you think as you head up. Have you, ever, have you ever done that? Something didn't look that high. And as you start up, it gets higher and higher. Uh, uh, just hypothetically, say you're, it's a Saturday and you're power washing your house, you know? Any of you ever done something like this? And you get to a certain height where you begin to question, do you value your wife more than your life? <laughs> and you're, you're getting higher and higher and higher and you're like, is, is, is that that important, right? I mean, is it that important? You know, in leadership, there's an aspect where you're climbing a ladder, and the higher you get, the more you get shot at. <laughs> and not so much actual bullets, but criticism, opinions, judgments. And not only that, you battle internal pressures. Is this gonna be good? How will this be received? And then you deliver it, and you leave going, what was that like? Where is a hat? I shouldn't have said it. Maybe I should have said this. Have you ever questioned any kind of thinking? And, and, and you see this in life. I mean, many people want to stay in certain spots. Hey, you go ahead and be the head coach there, big boy. <laughs> you take the emails from the parents. We'll just be down here supporting, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I've played that role, and I've also understood what it's like to be up there with your head kind of out there in this. And, and anybody who understands leadership, especially public leadership, or when you have to be the face of something, there's pressures to that, there's stress to that. There's difficulty to that. And I don't think anybody understood that more than the Apostle Paul. For this guy was always out in front. He was always the one who would have to say something. And not only on top of that, he would face the criticism that would come with that. And sometimes very evil to the point where he was getting beat up and pushed and shoved. How many times do you think there were some times where he just wanted to go, you know what, I'm done. How many times were there in his life where he's like, this is, this is too difficult? How many times in his life did he get to a spot where he was nervous? You know, I've been up on ladders. I don't feel exactly great on ladders. Some of you are. I got a, I got a buddy, Terry, who can fly up a ladder like nothing. I said, Terry, have you ever fallen? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. But I tell you what, I can get to a certain height on the ladder, and you ever, young people, anybody ever get on a, you know, anybody lived a long life on a ladder? You, you get those shakes in your knees. Some of you guys have to go really high till you fear that, feel that, and some of you ladies are praying for your husband, who you know is always on these ladders. But there's a level of, you know, intimidation that comes with getting up to certain heights that you feel it inside your body, you know. Um, that also is the case with public forum leading. 
You, you literally can get to points backstage and things like that where you do feel that, that tension and that pressure. And then on top of that, all those voices in your head that are battling you. I, I mean, maybe you've taught a Sunday school class before or a small group or something, and that night you're like, I mean, is this even gonna be good? I mean, is anybody gonna even listen? What do I even have to say? And, and you're battling all those things. And, and that's kind of where we're gonna lean today. We're gonna talk about times in our life where we've been called to sojourn through intimidating times, things that intimidate us. Now, we don't want to say them out loud. We don't want to let people know our weaknesses, right? But things that scare us a little bit, things that have us a little bit worried. So I want to ask you, in your life right now, are you feeling or or sensing or know you're going to have to do something that intimidates you a little bit? You're going to have to speak. You're going to have to take a class that you normally haven't taken. You're going to have to do something. And there's just this level of anxiousness to it, maybe fear of criticism or failure. Today is a day we're going to focus on Paul navigating that. And don't feel bad. You're not in bad company. And many of God's leaders went through times where they were just really intimidated by God's call in their life. Think of Elijah underneath the juniper tree. I can't do this, God, anymore. Think about Gideon hiding in a wine press. Oh, Gideon, mighty man of valor, God says while he's hiding. Think about David begging for God's protection in a cave as Absalom hunted him down. Think about Moses offering God excuses for how he talks. I don't speak so good. I mean, they were intimidated by their calling, intimidated by what was going on. Even the great warrior Joshua How many of you have God's encouragement to him memorized? Joshua 1, 9, right? Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go. Why did he need to tell Joshua, the great warrior, to be strong and courageous? Because he was weak and afraid. God intersected with those lies and helped them through intimidation. And his answer was always with encouragement. God didn't say, when Moses said, I got so many excuses. Oh, come on, Moses, you're great. Believe in yourself. Never. He said, I'm with you. Joshua, I don't know if I can do this. I'm with you. His encouragement was his presence, his backing, his his voice of encouragement in their lives. And you know what else God is so famous for doing in scripture? Not only giving encouragement to his children who face intimidation and face heights they don't think they can handle, he is a giver of people to surround those leaders with encouragement. And I'm very struck today by our chapter today of how much God strategically surrounded the Apostle Paul with people, friendships, leaders, voices of affirmation to get him through the times when he was most intimidated. Do you have people in your life like that? Do you have encouraging people in your life? I think this is so important to have encouraging people in our life because we have enough discouragement, don't we? We don't need to add to it. And don't you feel the shelter and refuge of seeing a face you know is going to be encouraging versus seeing a face you know is going to be discouraging? You know, I call encouraging people in my life, I've kind of, kind of always thought of it as something that's very dear to me and very valuable to me. In fact, it's extremely valuable to me. I brought it. It's in my pocket right here. It's so valuable, I'm afraid one of my children's gonna see it and take it from me. 
it's extremely valuable. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking? These things, mine, right? Some of you write on them, right? Stay off of it, right? Is there anything worse than going into your bed and going like this? Oh, oh I know who did it. And, and you know what? You can take a lot of them in our house, but don't you dare. Don't you dare touch the nine-footer in mom's side of the bed. <laughs> Don't. No, that one's special, you know? You get that Valentine's Day one, you know? That is a special one. You don't go near that. But, but why do we love these so much? Because something's dying that we appreciate. It's running out of batteries. It's growing weaker. We need to plug it in and recharge it. And that's what encouraging people are. They're, they're rechargers. They're so great to be around. And, oh, don't you want to be one? Don't you want to be a person of encouragement that when people see you, they go, oh, this is going to charge me up. There they are. How do I get there, Chris? Well, one, understand the importance of this in Scripture. Do you understand that encouragement is actually one of the one another's? It's one of the things we're called to do for other people. And it's not a suggestion in scripture, it's a command. Encourage one another. Do you know there's over 50 one another statements in scripture? Yeah, our church years ago did a whole sermon series on the one another's. And one of them is to encourage one another. We're called to do that. You're supposed to be a charger for people. That's what you're called to do. Edify, build them up. And so let me give you four, four verses that have meant something to me as I've sought to be an encouragement to people. Understand, you gotta understand the importance of an encouraging word, especially for someone who, who has been called to speak out in front of people. If you know somebody who leads something, if you encourage them, you have no idea how much it means. And 1 Thessalonians says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. It doesn't say discourage one another and knock each other down. But isn't it the temptation to talk about that kind of way, to talk that way about people more so than this? Have you knocked somebody down this week with your mouth? Scripture says, hey, there's so much power to an encouraging word. So much power. There's people in my life that go out of their way to say, hey, great job. And it means something every day time because there's power to an encouraging word that was spoken to a church that was struggling with confusion and anxiousness and that power of an encouraging word would speak to them paul knew that he wrote that to the thessalonica church here's the second of four and let us consider how to stir up one another i want you thinking considering ways to stir one another up to love and good works hebrews 10 24 see there's power to encouraging action i want to think of ways of how I can encourage them. Oh, I know they love that kind of food. I'm gonna get it for them. Oh, I know they love to go there. Let's get them a gift card there. Oh, I know they love um, to hang out with us as a couple. Let's call them up and go, they need encouragement right now. Let's do this. Some of you, and, oh, let's take a meal to their house. We're thinking of ways. What are some ways I can encourage my grandson? What are some ways I can encourage my brother? What are some ways I can encourage my sister? My mom, my dad. That's the idea here because there is power to someone else thinking of ways to build somebody up. Third, there's the encouragement of presence. Excuse me, of a push. But exhort one another. The idea is to kind of extol. Come on, get going daily. As long as it's called today. If it's still in the 24-hour window, do this so that none of you might be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
You know, sometimes when somebody wallows in discouragement for too long, or they're surrounded by people that are too much discouragement in their life, they get hardened, and they get, become doubting, and they begin to struggle with their faith. Scripture says, hey, go out of your way to encourage them, push them. Come on, we got you. Come on, come with me. Oh, I don't know. If I, if I, if I walk into the church, you know, the walls might fall down. Well, then come with me. The power of pushing somebody along, I believe in you, has huge weight. Do you have somebody in your life that's kind of been a push for you? I believe in you. Come on, you got this. The power of encouraging presence. Scripture reminds us, don't neglect the meeting together as some, but encourage one another all the more. If you see the day is drawing near, all the more go out of your way to get together with people within the church and encourage them. Build them up. It helps them when they feel worry or they feel fatalism. Things are falling apart. Just your presence. I can tell you right now, in the next service, right before the service, Ann's going to walk my bride from there or there and go sit right over there. And I'm not going to miss it. I never miss it. It's the power of presence. Oh, I used to love as a dad walking into a gym. My kids, I'm a little bit late and they're out playing already. I'd see them spot me. Like when they're six, seven years old, they'd spot you. Come on, give me the ball. Dad's here. And if they miss, they look over and you act like you didn't see it. Oh, man. I was like... And if they hit it, you're like, hold the camera up, right? I, mean, they, I, I want The power of your presence is so important. Are you an encouraging person? Do you bring an air of encouragement into a room? Are you there to be a life giver? Or do you find yourself walking in the room, sucking the life out of everybody? I believe there's a better path. And I believe scripture shows us that the path of discouragement and defeat and fatalism brings a lot of suffering and harm into your life. And that's why these are commands to do it. Not whether you feel like it, do it. It's as if God knows if you go out of your way to encourage, you are gonna find yourself around encouragers. If you go out of your way to discourage, you're gonna find yourself around discouragers. So it's so important to have a group of people around us to encourage us, especially when we're going through the different aspects of life, especially if you're called to any kind of leadership where you're out in front like Paul. You need somebody going, come on, man, you got this. All right, he's pushing you along. Another person going, watch me, I'll go up ahead. You got, okay, I'll follow, I'll follow your steps. You need a encouraging word. Man, you're doing great, keep climbing. Okay, okay, hey, go, don't stop there. Keep speaking, keep talking, you got it. And we got up to the top of that tower and we got to look around and I stayed back against the back wall a little bit while others hung over it. But I was thinking about preaching this whole sermon on the top here and just kind of, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if God's calling you from here to here, but I guarantee you he's going to want to use encouraging voices in your life. They're your charging stations. And so in my life, I read from this awesome leadership journal um, about emotional fuel and how important it is to have some key characters in your life, mentors, heroes, mentees, people you're investing into. Have these people around you that can build into your life and charge you up because life really sometimes sucks the energy out of you. 
And so in my life, I kind of took it and I built this charging station, a leader in my life, someone I can watch and respect and want to be like, a coach, someone who mentors me and teaches me, a guardian, someone who supports me, holds me accountable, partnership, someone I have a contractual relationship with, an inner circle, people who make up my closest friendships, and even a disciple, someone who I can entrust and invest into daily. And I'm going to share with you the verses that have helped inspire me to build this charging station around with me. And the reason I'm going to use today to do that is because I noticed in chapter 18 of Acts, our sojourners, Paul and Silas, who has been following him, are entering into Corinth. And it was a place that brought Paul tremendous trepidation. Really? Paul? Yeah. In fact, he's very vulnerable about how he feels about Corinth. And we're going to walk into this intimidation, and we're going to see how God encourages Paul. In fact, right in the heart of this text and in the time he's in this city, God is going to actually speak into the situation at night to Paul. And he's going to tell him a word of encouragement, and it's memorization level worthy, if you haven't yet. It's right up there with Joshua 1.9. In fact, if you're called to lead or speak or say things in front of people that could get you criticized, it's a great verse for you to leverage. Or maybe if you know someone who lives that kind of pressure life, you could send that verse to them. It's awesome. And at the end of the message, I'm gonna give out those key things that I've learned in my life to motivate that. So if you have somewhere in your life that's intimidating you right now, let's walk into it and let's crush it with scripture and let's crush it with what we see God do in the life of Paul. We're gonna meet some people today that God strategically places in his life to encourage him on his climb. Heavenly Father, use the text today to inspire us. We all have things that kind of haunt us. We all have things that kind of make us nervous. First time we're driving, First house we're going to buy, will we be able to pay for? New job, new responsibility, maybe a promotion. We're not sure if we're going to be able to live up to the standard that, that's been there. Maybe a new mom and, and worried that maybe she can't be a mother that she'd want to be. We all have things that intimidate us. God, I'm just so thankful for who you are and how you surround us with people it seems they're strategically placed to encourage us in just those moments. Thank you for that, God. So often we dwell on what we don't have that we forget all the things we do. May this be a day where we're reminded of all the wonderful people you've placed in our lives to be encouragement to us. And this we pray in your name, amen. So here's the text. We're in, we're in Acts 18, and scripture says, that Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, you've been traversing with him, Troas. He went crossed here into Macedonia, Philippi, Lydia. We met different characters as we've gone through Thessalonica, Berea, into Athens. And scripture says, after this, so after what? After Paul spoke at the Areopagus, he used lofty speech. He, he used poetic speech that some say that was one of his best sermons ever because he was speaking remember Athens was I told you it was kind of like the Duke or the Harvard you know this is a high academic city so Paul's there and he's speaking and remember what happened some really mocked him and made fun of him you know if you're going to make fun of me while I'm speaking I'd rather you just wait till you get to the car that's just better for all of us 
They just mocked him right to his face. And then some received it. But there was tensions that arose so much that he did decide to move on to Corinth. It just seems like every city, it's only a matter of time till Paul is attacked. But Paul goes to Corinth very differently. Now, Corinth is the Las Vegas of Macedonia, maybe even the Sodom Gomorrah. I mean, Corinth was so impure and so sexually immoral that they even had an Acropolis, a high a high area of worship where there were over a thousand prostitutes who at night would go down into the city and be with the men and women and and they would even celebrate incest in the city. I mean, Corinth was out of control sexually, completely out of control. In fact, if you read the book of Corinth, you see that. Corinth was so bad that other cities all throughout Macedonia, if somebody was acting impure, they would say, you're behaving like a Corinthian. That's how Corinth was. And so Paul comes into the city and he tells us his emotions. In 1 Corinthians, he actually tells us in, in chapter two, um, he, he, he shares this in four verses. He says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. It's like he's hearkening back to Athens and how he spoke. He said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm sticking to the basics. I'm just sharing the gospel. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and message were not plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So you have Paul here in a weak spot. He's trembling. Have you ever trembled? Have you ever been nervous? I remember speaking sometimes going, don't hold the paper up, Chris. They'll see your hand, you know? Just keep the paper like, here we go, you know? It's hard to be like, all right, I have something to say and I really mean it. Okay, everybody's like, okay there, big guy, all right. (laughs) That Paul's feeling this inside, but he's called to speak. And so he goes into the city and what do you do when you're nervous? Young person, you ever try out for a new sports team and you're going in, you're like, no, nobody. And dad's like, all right, go. I'm praying for you, bud. Praying for you, girl. Come on, go get them. Hmm, man, I know nobody. And then you spot somebody you knew like in second grade, like four years ago. And you're like, that's at least a familiar face. I'm gonna make it. Paul's kind of walking in like that. And he finds somebody right away. Scripture says this. And he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus. That's who he was. He recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Let's get a little historical background. Claudius is known for desiring in Rome a peaceful, kind, wonderful place. Well, the Jews had been stirring it up. So he commanded them all to leave in around 49 AD. So Aquila and Priscilla head out and they leave and head to Corinth. Well, we believe that the Apostle Paul arrived in Corinth around 51 AD. So God had been already strategically bringing this relationship together. Have you ever seen that in your life? And he comes in this city and he finds Priscilla and Aquila. Well, how did he meet them? Here, here's why. He founds, finds them because he went to see them and because he was of the same trade. They worked, at the same, they worked the same kind of job. So they immediately had something in common. And so he stayed with them and he worked for they were tent makers by trade. See, all rabbis, which Paul was called to do, uh, or at least minister in, were called to have a trade as well. And so Paul would make tents. Well, that's what Priscilla and Aquila did as well. And they supported and went with Paul and were with Paul and and brought him incredible camaraderie. 
You know, that's encouraging, isn't it? That God sends people into our life that are just bring a calm of being with you and just doing life with you. And one of the things I've noted about Priscilla and Aquila, you never see them mentioned apart from each other. This husband and wife, they served together. Many believe they ended up supporting Paul, that they were actually very successful tent makers, and they were one of the, one of the couples that supported Paul so he could step more into full-time ministry and just preach the gospel instead of tent make as well. Paul even writes about this couple. They were so dear to me because they risked their lives for me, he later says. Do you have a Priscilla and Aquila in your life? I don't know anybody Priscilla and Aquila. That's not what I mean. Do you have a couple in your life that's just there for you? They're just there for you. You know they're there for you. They show up, they help you. You got somebody in your life like that? When I was a young youth pastor, I would take some crazy trips. And these couples would come along with me. I thought they just wanted to spend time with me. It turns out they don't trust me with their children, I find out later. <laughs> but we go on these trips, and these people would do life with me and bring a tremendous calm to me. Oh, I didn't have a Priscilla and Aquila, but I did have a Scott and Diane, a Bob and Barb, a Bill and Sherry, a Todd and Kim, a Neil and Debbie. I didn't have Priscilla and Quill, but I had couples who came alongside me and did life. When everybody would take off, help me clean up tents till midnight. Just doing life. Do you have somebody like that? God brought them, didn't he? God brought them to encourage you just when you thought, there's nobody to help me. And they're loyal, steady, calming people in your life. Do you have somebody like that? If you do, would you tap them on the shoulder or text them today and say, thank you for being that for me? God sent them. Oh, and it encouraged Paul. And he continued to reason in the synagogues. Every Sabbath, he tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. He just kept going. These energy would bring him life and consistent investment. But, but then, but then Silas and Timothy showed up. Remember last week he called for them to come down? So Silas and Timothy show up and they arrive from Macedonia. And Paul, it says, was occupied with the word and he testified to the Jews that Jesus Christ was Jesus. Now, Chris, why are you so excited about this? Because two words, occupied and testified. All right, just, just some of you bear with me. Some of you, let's lock in here. I want you to go to seminary for a second. Let's talk about some, some, some grammatical interpretation. Occupied carries this idea, oh, this is great, of, of continual energy since arrival, okay? So there's an idea, because it's written in the imperfect tense, that Paul gained this occupation of doing this from the energy he got from Silas and Timothy. Their arrival made him go, oh, it's on now. If you guys are here, it's on. You ever see like a group of college guys, if a guy's by himself, he's like all insecure walking into McDonald's, can I have like a Big Mac? He walks in with his boys. Yo, what's up? We're all here, man. What? They take over the whole room. Parents are like, let's go, let's go, right? Like, oh my word, here comes this college. When we get around other people, they bring us energy and they bring us life. And that's what Paul and Timothy, excuse me, Timothy and Silas did. And it says he continued to testify. The idea means continual. He was self-involved all the more, even more thoroughly into it because of the arrival of Timothy and Silas. Wise, how does it feel when he sees his buddy come from college and he's like, oh, he hasn't done that for you in years. How's it feel, guys, when she's like, I'm going out with my friends. Don't worry, I'll be back by nine. I'll be tired. She comes in at 1 a.m. 
because there's certain people they just bring us energy. Do you have a Timothy and a Silas? Just energizing, invigorating relationships. I remember there was a time where I was preaching at youth ministry with my youth shirt on. Underneath my shirt, I had my Kids Town shirt on. And I'd run across the parking lot, pull off my youth shirt, and speak to the kids club. And then that night, I did the Young Marrieds, and on Thursday, I did the college called The Gathering, we called it, okay? And so I was doing all these things. You say, why? Because I was afraid. I was afraid that these ministries wouldn't keep going if I didn't get involved. And so I was doing all these things, and people were kind of noticing that Chris doesn't have any hair anymore. (laughs) And I texted two guys. Actually, I think I had to call, maybe even a collect call at that time. I called two guys up at uh, Summit College and said, would you guys drive down possibly and teach a Bible study um, to the high schoolers so I can at least do that? And I, I might not have Timothy and Silas, but I did have a Gabe and Kyle. I don't get to speak in front of the thousands of people that view us and stuff without a Ken and Adam. I, I, don't, I don't get to, to do some of the neat things I get to do without my Timothy and Silas's that God sends me. I remember one time I decided to move preach an angel series, also a Christmas series, and get moved in before Christmas Eve when we bought our house a couple years ago. That's the wisdom I often have. Why do I do this to myself? And I was so stuck. I was in trouble, and I was breaking down, and I'm like, I'm a frustrated. I'm like, you can't get this done. And Becca's like, why don't you call some of your friends? I don't want to burden them with that. I'll just do it myself. I'm trying to move couches. I'm yelling at the boys for not helping me when you can't help me. Dad, Dad you're out of control. In comes the driveway. Oh, it's not Timothy and Silas, it's Jesse and Ryan. And this guy, Brett. And they come in, they go, what do you need move, Chris? I could have hugged and kissed him, but it would have been weird. <laughs> and they showed up, we moved everything that night. Do you got relationships like that? Tap them on the shoulder, text them today. Thank you for being an energizing, invigorating, and revitalizing relationship for me. Oh, it, it, it got him so fired up. He preached the gospel so hard, they began to oppose him and revile him, as they always did. And he shook out his garments, and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'm going on to the Gentiles. What's going on here? Shook out his garments. I'm going to give you a little information. This makes this a little more exciting. When the Jews would travel into Gentile lands, they would get dirty with the Gentile dirt. So they'd take off their sandals and they'd shake them off in disgust that they had to travel through these Gentile nations. Paul, right in the Jews' face of their anger, goes, I shake off my garments. Oh, it was a slap in the face to them. I've preached the gospel to you and you reject it? Your blood be on your own hands, not on mine. I've done my job. I've shared what I've had to share. You say, wow, that's a, that's a powerful statement. Your blood be on your own heads. Is he like putting a curse on them or something? No, no, not at all. He's basically saying, I've done my responsibility. God calls me to share the gospel, not close the deal. That's his job. Do you understand? Child of God, give yourself some grace. You can't get anybody saved. I've joked with you before. I've had people come, hey, I brought my friend today. Can you make it a good one, Chris? I'll, I'll try like, do that thing you do. I remember the Rocky. He'd walk up, hey, yo, yo, do that thing you do. And he'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love when he do that. That's not our job, believers. Our job is to share the gospel. I heard my wife talking with one of our kids one time say, you really love that friend. Yeah. Hey, have you made sure you've at least shared the gospel with them? I mean, you don't want them to go to hell at least not hearing from you. 
you want to share it, right? Just at least, do you know somebody and you love them to death, but, but you haven't said anything yet? Paul says, I'm going to say something. It's not going to be on me that I didn't share it if you reject me. It seems that Paul understood he had a responsibility. You have the cure, child of God. You have it. And God has put people in your life. People say, I'm going to pray for a witnessing opportunity. You'll get it if you pray for it. You have opportunities all the time. You just have to pray, will I take the opportunity when it comes? Paul did, and he shared it, but he wasn't called to close the sale. If they reject it, they reject it, but I've done my job. But he saw it as an immense responsibility. Boy, I bet that wore on him. He continued, as he always did, and he left there and he went into the house of a man named Titius Justice a worshiper of God. He yells out, your blood be on your own hands. And then he leaves as if he's done there. Imagine the scene, your blood be on your own hands. I've shared this, it's on you. I'm out of here. And Paul leaves and goes to justice's house. Where's that at? Look at the scripture says, oh, right next door to the synagogue. <laughs> Paul, you are something else. I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm done. Yeah, we're going to share the gospel with them. Don't worry about it. Paul was relentless. He goes right into the house next door. You read this and Luke even sets it up like you're thinking, oh, he traveled off to Ephesus. Nope. He went right next door and next door to the synagogue is where Crispus lived. It's like it was a parsonage or something. The ruler of the synagogue and he comes to know Christ because Paul stays there together with his whole household. See, when we're going through discouraging times, God sends the Priscilla and Aquilas to kind of just do life with you. He also sends the Silas's and Timothys that bring you life at just the right moment. Have you noticed that? Can you go back to your life and see it? But he also sometimes distracts us when we're discouraged with somebody we want to invest in so much into that it takes the selfishness out of us. He gives us sometimes... Titus's and Crispus's. People that give you a drive out of your devotion for them. You know, when my wife and I were first married, um, in her high school years, she watched a few too many scary movies, okay? And, and a love for murder mysteries and stuff like that kind of haunts her at night, okay, when we first were married. And so I'd be down here at the church or stuff and realize I lived on property for much of my ministry. And, uh, but I'd get calls like, hey, come on, come on home. She'd be scared. She even told me a story one time she was in high school that she watched a scary show with her friends and she drove home into her driveway and was so scared to get out of her car from the driveway and run into the house that she drove onto the yard up to the front door and ran in. Her dad treated her like a princess and backed that car up. But, but that, was, that was how scared she would get. And she would get scared. She would call, God, come home, come home. By the way, I mean, the guys were playing hoops, you know, I don't, and, and, and all this stuff. And, and when we had our first child, all those fears kind of, she said, they just kind of went away. Because the child was now the priority. And, and my focus was on him, not me anymore. And it took away all those really fears. Now, now, trust me, there are some nights where you're walking up the steps and you hustle a little bit, you know, right? But, but, the idea was her love for that person distracted her from thinking about herself. It gave her a drive and a devotion. Isn't it interesting that scripture says there's something that drives out fear? Do you know what it is? 
love drives out fear. Love drives it out. And that's sometimes God brings relationships to our life that we are so focused on. I have a responsibility that I do that. And even if I don't want to do it or I'm nervous to do it, I do it because I'm doing it for someone else. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. But you ever notice that all this encouragement going on, there's still some times where you get off by yourself. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it hits at night, those voices of discouragement. Have you ever been like about to go to bed and you're reminded you didn't send that email? Or, oh my word, we didn't make that out. We gotta do that, oh my word. Or all of a sudden you'll never be able to afford your house at 11 o'clock, but the next day around seven, you can do it. But that night you can't, it's over. Why are we even here? Night. Well, it seems like something happened to Paul here in Corinth. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, it seems like Paul needed something from God. Maybe he was wrestling with some nighttime anxiety, some struggles. There's a special fear when it comes to speaking. There's a special pressure and there's a special isolation to it. It's very lonely sometimes at the top of that thing. And God knows that about his leaders. And sometimes he comes to them and he whispers exactly what they need to hear. And this is how he does it through his word. But back then, he spoke directly to Paul. And listen to what he says. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Isn't that cool? It kind of inspires me, a preacher. Keep preaching, Chris. There's many in Percocet who are going to come to Christ yet. You just don't know. I, I got many people who are coming yet. That timely Strength from God is so specific, it makes me believe that Paul had some serious struggles. Because look how specific it is. Go ahead, show me the quote. Do not be afraid. So Paul's scared. Go on speaking. He's considering not doing this anymore. You ever ponder quitting something you know you probably shouldn't? Do not be silent. Have you ever felt you should say it, but you're like, ah, you're making justifications? God's saying, don't be silent. Why, why? I'm with you. I made a note in my Bible. I don't know how you feel about God. The world likes to paint him as a horrible person, it feels. Distant, mean, checking up on you. Young people, can I speak into your life as you're young and, 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 and older folks who love Jesus with all their hearts, you just affirm this. God is so encouraging. He is such an encourager. Throughout scripture, we see him. If you wanna think of, of God, I want you to think of what an encourager. He is constantly encouraging us. Don't be afraid. Keep going. Don't be silent. I'm with you, but I can't see you, so I feel like you're not with me. That's why I've given you my word. I'm with you. Oh, and it pumped up Paul, and, and he stayed. He stayed. He kept going. A year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And after that year and six months, something happened again. He got forced into the proconsul where, where Gallio was the proconsul of Achaia. Now, now, I've shown you the ruins of a city called Delphi. Why? 
There's been much attack on Luke throughout the years that his usage of the word proconsul isn't correct, and that's not the title that that man was given. And so there's been an attack on this. But archaeologists found in the city of Delphi from the emperor Claudius four fragments they pieced together, and within those fragments it said, Lucius Gallio, my friend and proconsul, of Achaia. Now, I don't need archaeology to tell me the Bible's true. I believe with all my heart. But isn't it fun when we find these things that completely verify things that are often attacked in Scripture? So here we are. We see these ruins, and Galileo has got Paul in front of him because the Jews made a united attack on Paul again and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, who told him to keep going? Who told him to keep talking? He's like, okay, I got to say something. So he's about to open his mouth, Gallio says. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. He continues. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, See to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And, and he drove them out from the tribunal. Now, this is important because Galileo had a huge influential ability to decide how Jews or specifically Christian Jews would be treated in this young church's life. So God is just continuing to open the door for the word of God. But, but this infuriated them so much. Do you remember Crispus? The guy next door to the synagogue, it seems he had a friend or another synagogue leader or maybe his successor. This infuriated him so much that they seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the other synagogue or that synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo still paid no attention to any of this. God was opening a door despite the anger. But after this, After Paul sees this, he stayed many days longer and he took leave of the brothers and he set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So he's in Corinth and he sets sail. It seems like he's determined to get to Ephesus. It seems like he has something he wants to do. What's going on that you did that? Scripture tells us, this next verse, it says this, at at Sencria, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. Now, now Sencria is right outside on the tip here beyond Corinth. So right here, he cut his hair. He seems to want to take his hair somewhere. Why? Well, well, some of you might remember Samson. He was under a vow. Do you remember the name of that vow? It was called the Nazarite vow. It seems that if Paul took the Nazarite vow himself, there's four characteristics to such. It was a voluntary decision, not for Samson, but for other Jews. It was for a specific time period throughout the period of the preparation or separation. It had three restrictions. Do you remember what they were? Abstain from wine, the cutting of your hair, and contact with anything dead so that you would be fully consecrated or separated or set apart for God. But it concluded with a sacrifice. The cut of the hair would be cut and then taken and put on the altar. It seems like Paul's time in Corinth was such a time of pressure, he said, I'm going to set myself apart even more. It's like maybe the equivalent of prayer and fasting. I have to completely set myself apart from God because Corinth is so wicked. Maybe it was the impurity he saw everywhere as a man. He was really struggling. I got to set myself apart. 
And he wants to take this hair and he wants to put it on the altar and finish the Nazarite vow. So he comes to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews there. And when they asked him, stay longer, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I'll return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Folks, in the last few weeks, you followed the first missionary journey, and this is the completion now of the second missionary journey. He lands in Caesarea, where he met and greeted the church, and then went on to Antioch and concluded his second missionary journey. You've traversed along with him, haven't you? And you've seen how God in Antioch, along in Tarsus, through Derby and Lystra, and the meeting of Timothy, the joining up of Silas, the heading out into Troas, being discouraged, but setting sail and finding smooth winds, meeting Lydia in Philippi, through Thessalonica, Athens, and Corinth, up into Ephesus, and now returning home. We have seen throughout it all God's constant hand of encouragement. Do not be afraid. Who needs this today? Who came just for this? Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent for I am with you. Who needed that? Who did God bring here just for that today? He is an encouraging God, child of God. He's with you. Keep going. What voices you got in your head that the Lord needs to speak into and say, I want to encourage you. I'm an encourager. Do you have encouraging voices? You've got one with scripture, but I also want to encourage you to surround yourself with some chargers. In my life, I need to have a leader, someone I can watch and respect and want to be like. I base that on this verse. Scripture says this, one slide, remember your leaders. I want you to remember those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I want you to look at people. I want you to examine their life and you say, that's a person I want to imitate. You need a leader in your life. Someone who can speak the word of God to you. Who could be that person? Who is that person? You say, well, I don't know how I can find this person. Here's how you start. You don't play the victim card when it comes to relationships. You only get back what you put in. If you don't have a leader in your life, become someone else's leader. If you, become to, if you begin to encourage someone else, you will find encouragement come back your way. Here's a second one. Get a coach, someone who can mentor you, who teaches you, who pushes you. You gotta have somebody in your life going, come on, I believe in you, you got this. Hey, man, come on, do it this way. You gotta have a coach in your life. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools suffers harm. Learn this at a young age, anybody younger in here? Scripture says, you hang out with fools, you're gonna have a lot of harm and suffering in your life. That's not Chris's advice, that's just straight scripture. But if you hang around wise people, you'll find yourself becoming more wise. Find somebody that's a coach. You got to have guardians, someone who supports you, okay, who's got your back, but somebody who also holds you accountable. 
Proverbs 24, 5 and 6 has been the anchor verse for this. A wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance, you can wage war in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. I have found that my strength grows as I have guardians who affirm me, have my back, and also hold me accountable. Chris, are you dating your wife? Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. When's the last time? with the kids and all that stuff. Come on, man. You're right, you're right, you're right. Gotta work that relationship, gotta build that relationship. Hey, are you making sure that you're taking a day off? Well, let's talk about something else. Are you making sure? See, y'all need somebody in your life who's not going, hey, how you doing? Hey, man, good. All right, see you, see you. You need somebody going, hey, how you doing? I'm good. No, 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 no. How are you doing? Breakfast Wednesday, Done. You need somebody like that. Scripture tells me so. You need a partnership, someone you have a contractual relationship with uh, in, in your life. Now, this might not just be marriage. This might be a business partnership. But if you have a contract where you've made vows or promises to your husband or your wife, okay, God's biblical design for marriage, you also might have a partnership, but, but Scripture cautions you. Scripture cautions you. It says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, be careful there. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Be careful. You ever hear your parents say, you need to marry a believer. You say, I don't know, you sure? You There it is, there's your verse. There's your verse. That's scripture, that's not your mom and dad. That's scripture, be careful there. There's dangers there. Hey, hey, have I seen wonderful stories? Amen and amen, yes, I have. By the grace of God, okay? However, I'm not out there coaching evangelism dating, okay? I mean, it's something you gotta be very careful with. Young people, I'm gonna say it for your parents. Maybe I'll start a conversation on the way home for you. Scripture's very clear on this. And why, why? Because scripture wants to ruin your life? No, scripture's trying to prevent you from harm. You have an encouraging God. Here's the, here's the other one, the inner circle. Okay, I got two left and we're out. People who make up your closest relationships. Second Corinthians says, I got heads up for you. Don't lie to yourself. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Okay, you walk in the mud, you're gonna get muddy if you walk there too much. You know, you don't get a pair of brand new white, you know, Nike shoes and walk into mud and the, shoe, and the mud becomes white Nike'd. No, the shoes become muddy. And the scripture says this, look, if your inner circle is made up mostly of bad company, it's gonna corrupt your character. Scripture's not like, mm, I think it's gonna, it's going to. And so if you have an inner circle that's very difficult and there's times in our life where that is what it's like. My son's college inner circle wasn't always the best. And so I was constantly going, be careful, man. Be careful, man. Be careful. Is there any other relationships that are in your inner circle? Because you know this happens. Scripture's so clear. And then finally, finally, get a life charger in your life. Disciple someone you both entrust and invest to. Let, let's, say, let's say you're in a season of your life where all your kids left the house. And you're going, man, we got nothing left to live for. Stop it. Go invest into somebody else. They don't stay all night and eat all your food. It'll be great. <laughs> Go pour into someone else's life. Paul said, oh, Thessalonica, we are so ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but ourselves also because you became so very dear to us. I want you to look through this whole list and I want you to think, who could I be that for before you think, who could I get? But more importantly, I want you to leave here today going, who could I be an encouragement to? God, would you make me an encouraging person? 
because you call me to be an encouraging person. Would you surround me with people who are encouragers so I can learn from them? And would you make me desire to be more of an encouragement to others? Scripture's so clear, encourage one another. And let me remind you, that's not in suggestion form. That's command form, which means if God commands you to do it, he knows it's best for you. Heavenly Father, when we encourage others, when we charge others up, when we think about ways to inspire somebody, when we choose to stay when everyone else leaves, when we serve alongside somebody for years after years, when we offer that encouraging word at just the right moment, when we give that push because we believe in someone that doesn't even believe in themselves. We can never be more like the character of God, the encouraging God. Go on, keep speaking, don't be silent, for I'm with you wherever you go. Lord, there may be someone in our lives that we know we need to speak to. We need to not be silent, but we're gonna need you to come along with us because we're intimidated to share the gospel with them. Our knees shake, our heart flutters. We've been friends with them for years, God, and we gotta say something. May that verse drive us to open our mouth. If there's anyone in here today who has never received Jesus Christ as their personal savior, may this be the day that they plug into you and they feel your power come into them for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. May we encourage everyone in this room to make sure that within their circle of friends, they have one who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus, thank you for encouraging us when we need it most. May we exemplify you even while it's called today. Amen.